0: Well, the old testament lesson for this the 8th sunday after pentecost is from the book of jeremiah the 23rd chapter and in this text the prophet jeremiah foretells of a righteous branch and he's referring to the messiah jesus christ who will come one day woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture declares the lord Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all all of, all of the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply." And this is the name by which he'll be called. The Lord is our righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the sixth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said... This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, Will you give them something to eat? And they said to him, Surely we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat. And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then Jesus commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and he broke the loaves and he gave it to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we continue with the sermon series on the book of Ephesians entitled, Who Am I or Who Are We? And really the question behind all of this is, who does God think us to be? Because that's really the question. And if we know the answer to that question, then it really helps us understand who we are. And so today, Paul addresses this question in the words of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. I want to read these words to you now, and you'll find them also printed in your bulletin. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, by which is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at "...by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father." So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him, that is in Christ. You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is our text. In the name of Jesus Christ, dear fellow citizens in Christ's kingdom. Well most people are proud of their country. They're proud of their citizenship and their culture. I mean people love to wave the flag. They elevate their forefathers to folklore status. Their identity is tied up in their home-growing language and music and art and sport. They delight in the accomplishments of fellow citizens. And starting this next Friday, with the opening ceremony of the 2021 Olympic Games in Japan, people around the globe will be waving their flags. They'll be dressing themselves and painting their faces in the colors of their country. They'll be breaking out in spontaneous singing of the national anthems, They'll be cheering their athletes that represent their country on to victory, and athletes will stand tall and proud on the gold medal podium as their nation's flag is raised and the national anthem is sung. And rightly so. People should be proud of their culture and their country and their accomplishments. Our distinctive languages and our cultures, our ethnicities, are God's masterful mosaic. How much richer is our world because of the diversity of people and cultures and languages? But you know as well as I do that these differences often cause division among people. And this was certainly true in the case of St. Paul's day. Jews despised Gentiles and Gentiles loathed Jews. And scores of Jews and Gentiles had been killed at the hands of one another over the years because of their hatred towards one another. And now, the fledgling Christian congregations in Asia minor, Minor find themselves populated populated by both Jews and Gentiles. So how is it that they'll get along? How will they overcome their deep-seated feelings of hostility rooted in racial resentment and conflict? How will they overcome the deep-seated prejudices that lie within them? The fact that St. Paul addresses the matter of unity in his letter to the Ephesians, suggests that the division and disagreement might have been an ongoing challenge to these young believers. Well, St. Paul reminds the Gentile Christians of what their status was prior to their call and prior to their conversion to citizenship in God's kingdom. He writes, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, that is, non-Jews, so that's like you and me, He says, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. St. Paul says that the Gentile Christians were at one time separate from Christ. They had no expectation of the Savior of the world. They weren't even looking for him. St. Paul says that they were excluded from citizenship in God's kingdom and God's covenant promises, meaning that they were not entitled to the rights of citizenship that comes by being a member of God's kingdom. And consequently, St. Paul says that they were a people without hope because they were without God. I think we'd be hard-pressed to find a more disturbing and distressing description of a person's spiritual state than this, especially when we, re- when we realize that Paul's description of the Gentiles prior to their conversion describes the, scatter- the status of scores of people today. Millions, even billions of people in this world do not identify themselves as citizens in God's kingdom. They do not identify as children in the family of God. They do not identify themselves as members of the one holy Christian church. And therefore, they're separate from Christ. Most people in the world have no expectation of a savior. They're not even looking for a Savior. They may not even know the name of Jesus as their Savior. Most people in the world are absolutely clueless to their lost state and their need for a Savior like Jesus. Most people in the world are not entitled to the rights of citizenship in God's kingdom. It's a special privilege, and they are quite bluntly without eternal hope because they live life without God. Or they may claim a belief in God, but they really live a life without God, the true God. And if they try to enter God's eternal kingdom at the conclusion of their earthly existence, they will find that they're refused entry because they're trying to access heaven illegally, illegitimately, without faith in Christ. As I said, that's quite a distressing, quite a depressing statement made by St. Paul. But he goes on with this good news. Listen to these words from our text. But now in Christ Jesus, you, that is the Gentiles, who were once far off, That's the Jews. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Well, Let me state the obvious truth. One that I have made in previous messages. J- Jewish blood flowed through Jesus' veins. At eight days old, Jesus was presented at the temple, and he was circumcised like all Jewish boys. Jesus learned Hebrew, and he attended synagogue school. And the stories of how God's chosen people had conquered their enemies by God's powerful hand were rehearsed, and they were celebrated by Jesus and his family. Jesus was well aware of his distinct cultural ethnicity and the differences that existed between Jew and Gentile. But these racial and cultural and linguistic and religious differences, did not cause Jesus to be selective in who it was that he came to save. Simeon sang of the infant Jesus, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. You are a light for the revelation to the Gentiles, and you are the glory of your people Israel. Jesus knew that he was sent into this world to be the Savior of all the peoples of the earth. Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to me, and there will be one flock, even as there is only one shepherd. Jesus didn't pay just lip service to this reality. I mean, Jesus practiced what he preached. Jesus healed the servant of a Roman centurion and said of the Roman, I tell you the truth, I have not found such great faith even in all of Israel. And Jesus arranged a divine appointment at Jacob's well with the Samaritan woman so that he might reveal to her that I am the Messiah. And to the Canaanite woman whose daughter is demon-possessed, Jesus said, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And thankfully, Jesus did more than simply heal the Roman centurion's servant and drive out the demon from the daughter of the Canaanite woman and witness to the Samaritan woman that he was the Messiah, Jesus also died. He died for these Gentiles. He died for all Gentiles, even as he died for the people of Jewish descent. You see, there's a dividing wall of hostility between God and us, no matter what our ethnicity whether we're a Jew or a Gentile, it makes no difference. That that dividing wall is our sin. And sin does not discriminate. The curse of sin infects all people. All people are born separated from God. All people are born dead in their sins. All people are worthy of God's damnation. Because of their sin. But the good news is this. When Jesus died on Calvary's cross, he died for all people. He died for Jew and Gentile. St. Paul says in our text, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Jesus himself is our peace. Not just his message is a message of peace, but he himself is our peace. He is the source through whom we have reconciliation with God our Father. You know, when we talk of Jesus' death, we often think of the temple curtain being torn in two because that's what the Gospel of Matthew talks about. It talks about how when Jesus died on the cross, the temple curtain that once was a symbol of God's separation from humankind because of sin, well, that temple curtain was torn in two. And when it was torn in two, it was a signal to all of us that Christ's death has broken down that wall, that barrier, that separated us from God, that our sins are forgiven. Well, not only is the temple curtain torn in two, but St. Paul reminds us that there was another barrier that was broken down. He talks about the wall of hostility, the barrier, the wall of hostility that separated Jew and Gentile from God and from each other. But Paul says just as that wall of hostility was broken down because of the blood that Jesus Christ shed for us so that we are now reconciled, friends with God our Father, so also because of Christ's death on the cross, we can be reconciled to one another. Jew and Gentile, no matter who we are, we can live in peace and unity with one another because of the blood Jesus shed for us. It's interesting. At least it's interesting to me. It's interesting that the dividing wall of hostility, that that term was used by the first century Jewish historian, Josephus. And it was used in reference to the handrail that was in the Jerusalem temple that separated the court of the Gentiles from the temple proper. In other words, there was a part of the temple that Gentiles could go into, but when they got to this barrier, there was a sign that said, it said, no foreigner, that means Gentile, may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. In other words, this wall of hostility was right there in the temple, and it said, you Gentiles are not welcome beyond this point. If you go beyond this point, you may die. In fact, you will die. This is an aside that's what St Paul was accused of in the book of Acts of taking a gentile past that point and that's why St Paul was then arrested and eventually went to Rome. And Paul is saying that that wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile doesn't exist anymore. Not in Christ. Not in Christ. St. Paul observes that Christ Jesus demolished this wall of hostility when he died on the cross. So Jesus is the intersection where Jew and Gentile meet as one. St. Paul states, he creates in himself, that's Jesus, one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he reconciles us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, that is Jesus, we both have access. We both have access in one spirit to the Father. In Christ, God creates a new humanity. He creates a new man. He creates a new nation. He creates a new family, one that transcends cultural and racial barriers. And in light of this newfound creation, you know, it might even be prudent for us to drop the descriptive adjectives that we so often use. Because in God's eyes, there is no Jewish Christian or Gentile Christian. There's not in God's eyes a white Christian, or a black Christian, or an Asian Christian, or a Native American Christian. There's just Christians. There's just brothers and sisters in Christ. There's just fellow citizens in his kingdom for whom Christ died. And so sure, we may come from diverse cultures, we may speak a variety of different languages, and we might sport a variety of skin tones, but Christ's blood unites us to one another just as sin does not discriminate neither does Jesus' blood discriminate and that's why St Paul can say to the gentiles you're no you're no longer foreigners you're no longer aliens But everyone who is chosen and elected by God, who is redeemed and forgiven by Christ, who is sealed by the Holy Spirit, you all have full rights of citizenship in God's kingdom. Full rights of citizenship. It doesn't matter who you are in Christ, your sins are completely forgiven. In Christ, you have all the same treasures of everlasting life. It's given to all. There's no distinctions made. And not only are we fellow citizens in God's kingdom with the full rights of citizenship, but he even says we are all members of the household of God. Christ is, as someone observed, the meeting point with God for all of humankind. And so St. Paul goes on to write in our text, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, who are being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Jesus Christ trumps ethnicity. We believers in Christ, we form a new nation. And it's a nation that recognizes and celebrates cultural diversity and ethnicity as part of our cultural mosaic. We embrace the diversity, but we also recognize that in Christ, there is a unity that can only be experienced in relationship to Jesus the church cleansed by the blood of Christ and united in faith by the Spirit of God, that church, there is no place for prejudice. There's no place for ethnocentrism. There's no place for critical race theory. There's no place for any form of racism. All of us count as our founding fathers and the stalwart citizens of God's kingdom, people like Adam and Eve and Abraham and Sarah, and Isaac and Jacob, or Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Joseph, Moses and Aaron and Miriam, Rahab and Ruth, who I might mention were two Gentiles in the Old Testament, Jesse and David, Elijah and Elisha, Isaiah and Jeremiah, Peter, James and John, and yes, Gentiles like Cornelius and Luke and Titus, and the list could go on and on and on, of people who we identify with because they are brothers and sisters in Christ, because they're fellow citizens, in God's kingdom with us. And our founding documents as a nation are the Old Testament and the New Testament. These are our constituting documents that were written by the prophets and the apostles with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the very center of of those writings. And we are granted our citizenship papers when we're baptized. Baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the charter by which we live our lives as citizens of God's kingdom is this. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And just as a side, I'll talk about that text in about two weeks from now. And our purpose for existing as a nation is to find more aliens, to find more foreigners, to reach out to both Jew and Gentile who do not yet believe in Christ as their Savior and bring them into Christ's kingdom so that they might also become full-fledged citizens in the kingdom of God. So who am I? Who are we? How does God see us to be? Well, in God's eyes, we are citizens. Citizens in his kingdom. We are his children. Children in his family. And we are the church of God. This is who we are. In Christ Jesus, our Savior. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.